Good Thursday to you all, and welcome to this 21st day of April, day 111, in our journey through the Bible. Hello to everyone out there. My name is Hunter. I am your brother. I'm that person who's showing up with you every day to spend a little time together in the pages of the Bible, to let this Bible direct our hearts to the one who is the living Word of God, the one alone who has the words of life. And so we come from all over this beautiful world. We come and we listen and we open our hearts to him. Well, today we're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel, chapters 25 and 26, then on to Psalm 63, and then we finish in Matthew's gospel, chapter 9. Father, we come because you've drawn us because you are good. Help us to see now. 1 Samuel 25 Now Samuel died, and all Israel gathered for his funeral. They buried him at his house in Ramah. Then David moved down to the wilderness of Moan. There was a wealthy man from Moan who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, And it was sheep-shearing time. This man's name was Nabal, and his wife Abigail was a sensible and beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all his dealings. When David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent ten of his young men to Carmel with this message for Nabal, Peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. I am told that it is sheep-shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them, and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men, and they will tell you this is true. So would you be so kind, since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and they waited for his reply. Who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered from my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? So David's young men returned and told him what Nabal had said. Get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped on his own. Then four hundred men started off with David and two hundred remained behind to guard their equipment. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us, and we've never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. You need to know this and figure out what to do, for there's going to be trouble for our master and for his whole family. He's so ill-tempered that no one can ever talk to him. Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered two hundred loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, one hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred fig cakes. She packed them on the donkeys and said to her servants, Go on ahead and I'll follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. As she was riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming toward her. David had just been saying, A lot of good it did us to help this fellow. 
We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen. But he has repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me, if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all the blame in this matter, my lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked, ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He's a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young men you sent. Now, my lord, as surely as the lord lives and you yourself live, since the lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me if I've offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of our enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. When the Lord has done all that he promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. David replied to Abigail, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her present and told her, Return home in peace. I have heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. When Abigail arrived home, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king. He was very drunk, so she didn't tell him anything about her meeting with David until dawn the next day. In the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him what had happened. As a result, he had a stroke, and he lay paralyzed in his bed like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck him and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise the Lord, who has avenged the insult I received from Nabal and has kept me from doing it myself. Nabal has received the punishment for his sin. Then David sent messengers to Abigail to ask her to become his wife. When the messengers arrived at Carmel, they told Abigail, David has sent for us to take you back to marry him. She bowed low to the ground and responded, I, your servant, will be happy to marry David. I would even be willing to become a slave, washing the feet of his servants. Quickly getting ready, she took along five of her servant girls as attendants, mounted her donkey, and went with David's messengers, and so she became his wife. David also married Ahinoam from Jezreel, making both of them his wives. Saul, meanwhile, had given his daughter Michael, David's wife, to a man from Galim, named Palti, son of Laish. 1 Samuel 26 Now some men from Ziph came to Saul at Gibeah to tell him, David is hiding on a hill of Hakilah, which overlooks Jeshimon. So David took three thousand of Israel's elite troops and went to hunt him down in the wilderness of Ziph. 
Saul camped along the road beside the hill of Hakelah, near Jeshimon, where David was hiding. When David learned that Saul had come after him into the wilderness, he sent out spies to verify the report of Saul's arrival. David slipped over to Saul's camp one night to look around. Saul and Nabner, son of Ner, the commander of his army, were sleeping inside a ring formed by slumbering warriors. "'Who will volunteer to go in there with me?' David asked Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Abishai, son of Zariah, Joab's brother. "'I'll go with you,' Abishai replied. So David and Abishai went right into Saul's camp and found him asleep, with his spears stuck in the ground beside his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying asleep around him. "'God has surely handed your enemy over to you this time,' Abishai whispered to David. "'Let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't need to strike twice.' "'No,' David said. "'Don't kill him. "'For who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? "'Surely the Lord will strike Saul down some day, "'or he will die of old age or in battle. "'The Lord forbid that I should kill the one he has anointed. "'But take this spear and that jug of water beside his head.' And then let's get out of here. So David took the spear and jug of water that was near Saul's head. Then he and Abishai got away without anyone seeing them or even waking up, because the Lord had put Saul's men into a deep sleep. David climbed the hill opposite the camp until he was at a safe distance. Then he shouted down to the soldiers and to Abner, son of Ner, Wake up, Abner! Who is it? Abner demanded. Well, Abner, you're a great man, aren't you? David taunted. Where in all Israel is there anyone as mighty? So why haven't you guarded your master the king when someone came to kill him? This isn't good at all. I swear by the Lord that you and your men deserve to die because you failed to protect your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around. Where's the king's spear and the jug of water that was beside his head? Saul recognized David's voice and called out, Is that you, my son David? And David replied, Yes, my lord the king, why are you chasing me? What have I done? What is my crime? But now let my lord the king listen to his servant. If the lord has stirred you up against me, then let him accept my offering. But if this is simply a human scheme, then may those involved be cursed by the lord, for they have driven me from my home, so I can no longer live among the lord's people, and they have said, Go worship pagan gods. Must I die on foreign soil, far from the presence of the Lord? Why has the king of Israel come out to search for a single flea? Why does he hunt me down like a partridge on the mountains? Then Saul confessed, I have sinned. Come back home, my son, and I will no longer try to harm you. For you have valued my life today. I have been a fool and very, very wrong. Here's your spear, O king, David replied. Let one of your young men come over here and get it. The Lord gives his own reward for doing good and for being loyal. And I refuse to kill you, even when the Lord placed you in my power, for you are the Lord's anointed one. Now may the Lord value my life, even as I have valued yours today. May he rescue me from all my troubles. And Saul said to David, Blessings on you, my son David. You will do many heroic deeds, and you will surely succeed. Then David went away, and Saul returned home. Psalm 63, a psalm of David regarding the time when David was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my rock. I earnestly search for you. 
My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night, because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. But those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become the food of jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear to tell the truth will praise him, while liars will be silenced. Matthew 9 Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. Some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, That's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up and went home. Fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen, and they praised God for giving humans such authority. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come not to call those who think they are righteous but those who know they are sinners. One day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, Why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure and spill the wine, ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins, so that both are preserved. As Jesus was saying this, the leader of a synagogue came and knelt before him. My daughter has just died, he said, but you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hands on her. So Jesus and his disciples got up and went with him. 
Just then, a woman who had suffered for twelve years with constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe, for she thought, If I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus arrived at the official's home, he saw the noisy crowd and heard the funeral music. Get out, he told them. The girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him. After the crowd was put outside, however, Jesus went in and took the girl by the hand, and she stood up. The report of this miracle swept through the entire countryside. After Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him, shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us! They went right into the house where he was staying, and Jesus asked them, Do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him, we do. Then he touched their eyes and said, Because of your faith, it has happened. Then their eyes were opened, and they could see. Jesus sternly warned them, Don't tell anyone about this. But instead, they went out and spread his fame all over the region. When they left, a demon-possessed man who couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. So Jesus cast out the demon, and then the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. Nothing like this has ever happened in Israel, they exclaimed. But the Pharisees said, he can cast out demons because he's empowered by the prince of demons. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages in that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. And now may the Lord of the harvest give his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Amen. There are needs everywhere. Jesus acknowledges these physical needs without excluding our spiritual needs, the needs of our soul and heart. He sees our need for forgiveness, healing from shame, regrets. There he has compassion. There he reaches out. There he heals and there he forgives. He says to the paralytic, Be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. The same is true in our lives. He sees our physical needs and he sees and responds to our spiritual need, our need for forgiveness our need for wholeness and healing. He has come to show mercy. In verse 13, he says, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. He wants us to think about it. Think about the meaning of this scripture. Because our thoughts automatically go to what must I do in order to carry favor with God? What must I sacrifice? How might I perform in order to be made right with Him? When our thinking goes there, we miss the point. We have to think again. 
Jesus tells us, think again. Go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Your demonstration of mercy, your heart for others, is evidence that you understand the heart of God, that he has come to sacrifice himself on our behalf to heal us. He's not looking for our religious sacrifices. He did what we could not. He brought healing, forgiveness, and hope. He came for the unrighteous, not those who think they are righteous by the things that they do. God wants me to raise my eyes and see what he sees. The blind, the sick, the bleeding, all people needing his compassion and his life. When we see the way God sees, when we look with his eyes in his spirit, well, the same response wells up within our own hearts. And we have compassion, and we will go out and work in the fields alongside him. We'll participate with him. We'll be empowered by him. That is what God is up to here. He wants us to see what he sees. And he invites us to join him in the fields, working alongside with his power, his strength, his joy. And that's a prayer that I have for my own soul. That's a prayer that I have for my family, for my wife, my daughters, my son. And that's a prayer that I have for you. May it be so. Well, hey, DRB people, my brothers, my sisters, my friends. I hope you guys are doing well out there. We're doing okay here in the beautiful Northwest Coast. And we are grateful for the Tin Can Turtle, our little abode here. This 240 square foot domicile that doubles as a recording studio. And we are not too very far right now at this moment from the beautiful and mighty Pacific Ocean. It is mighty too, let me tell you. I've spent some time on the East Coast and of course, no one's going to argue that the Atlantic Ocean doesn't kick up a fuss now and then. But there's some next level stuff going on with this Pacific Ocean. Well, I tell you. Now, I don't want to be a Pacific Ocean snob here. That's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm just trying to tell you that there's something fierce and bold and just awesome about the Pacific Ocean. And if you ever have the opportunity to get out here and take and look and see what I see, well, you'll know what I'm talking about. But hey, friends, wherever you're at, get yourself outside if you can and take a little walk and take some deep breaths and see what's beautiful all around you. There's beauty there. I don't care where you're at. You can find it. You have eyes to see. You do indeed. And when you see it, just say thank you. Just thank the Lord for his goodness for his creation, for the life and breath that you have, that you live and move and have your very being in the God of creation. Wonderful. Well, here's something wonderful. These are partners to the DRB. These are people who give so that this podcast can give. And for these folks, I'm so grateful. I want to give a big shout out to Carol Thibodeau, to Vanessa Kaufman, to Bob and Lynn Goodliffe, 
to Tracy Kimsey, and last but not least, to Denise Williams. Blessings, my friends, co-laborers in the harvest. I'm so grateful for you. And I'm grateful for all of you listeners out there. No doubt about that. And I realize we're not all in a position to to partner with this work. And that's okay. In fact, that's more than okay. This podcast is always sought to do what we do without charge at all. I'm just saying thank you to those folks who make that possible. And if you are in a position to give and you feel compelled to give, well, you certainly can. You can join that happy group of folks. All you have to do is head on over to the webpage, dailyradiobible.com. Click on the partner link, the donate link, whatever it's called there. Just click on that and you'll be on your way. Well, hey, I'm going to be on my way now. But what do you say we show up again here tomorrow and we'll do it again. Lord willing and the creek don't rise. I plan on being here. Until that time, let's go forward in God's joy. Let's let his joy be our strength. And let us always remember this, that you are loved. No doubt about it. All righty, I'll talk to you again tomorrow. You guys take care.